Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Tasting, Testing by Pastor Sean Wood. Lord, I pray today that as we work through your word, that you would work your word through us. In your glorious name. Amen. 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 If you've got your Bibles, we're going to begin at the end of Exodus 20, but this morning we're going to jump around a little bit because the topic that I want to talk about this morning can be an uncomfortable topic and I want to be clear that everything I say we back up through scripture so we'll jump around a bit to do so. Uh, Most people know when I was in Tassie I ran a forestry crew. Basically what that meant was everybody that worked for me was paid on piece rates which means they only got paid for what they did. And it was a bit of an incentive for them to work a bit harder. And at the start of every planting season, I would only have about six guys, six really good solid guys, but I would need close to 20 to get through the planting and fertilising season. That's often how many I needed. And so uh, uh, often I needed 10, maybe 12 guys at the start of the season. And so I would go through a raft of interviews and, and I'd put on all these guys. And it's interesting in the interviews how good everybody tells you they are. I've worked outside all my life, I've worked on farms all my life, I I love working outside, I love hard work. It's interesting how uh, little do they know that inside of a week we're going to find out just how much that's the case. At the start of every planting season, they would give me a list of every block that I had to plant for that season, and then we would fertilise the same ones. As my wife will know, I intentionally went round every one of those coops and found the worst ones on the list. And I would start a brand new crew on the worst blocks that I had. I copped a lot of flack for it. My, my boss was my stepfather and he would ring me up and say, what are you doing? We spend all this time hiring people. But the reality was uh, the rest of the planning season wasn't going to be easy and I needed to make sure that the guys I had were going to be able to last. I had guys from other crews that would come to the interview and they'd say, you know, I used to work for this other company, but I've heard how much your guys make and we want to come and work with you. And I would ask them, do you have a set of wet weathers? What do I need those for? And I'd say, listen, in the last four years, I've gone home three days because of weather. That was the last I ever heard of them. The reality was that from that day forward, come rain, hail or shine, we were going to work. And I needed guys that I knew I could rely on for the season. And so I would use the blocks as a tool to see who I had. Interestingly enough, the ones who, often it was the ones who were the most vocal at the interview that didn't last. I had one guy, the record is, uh, it must have been my deodorant. (laughs) The record is in one day I had six guys quit in one day and one guy lasted 45 minutes. I wasn't taking it personally until... It was six in one day, Liz, but uh, I began to start taking it personally. Uh, not only was it 45 minutes, I said, okay, mate, if this is not for you, then, then just hang around and I'll give you... Not only was it 45 minutes, we were an hour and a half drive from town and he said, I'll walk and hitchhike home. I said, if you don't like me, just say so. But what I was actually doing, uh, I would use that block as a test. I was testing these guys to see who I had because I actually needed uh, I actually needed a full crew. We had to do a certain amount of hectares a week to get through our, uh, our uh, whole list and so I needed good guys. And so I would use the blocks as an agency. This is going to become a little bit important as we work our way through. And 
uh, the guys that had worked with me for a few years, they knew what we were up to. They used to place bets in the back of the troop carrier going to work these guys. How long are these guys going to last and, and all this sort of stuff. But uh, after a period of time, uh, I would keep these guys on bad blocks until I had the crew that I wanted. And then we would go... Because the farm blocks, guys go from $200 a day to $500 a day on the farm blocks. It's, it, it can be really good. So I used to hold those back. But you know what? We're going to see today that God does the same in our own lives. Is that there are seasons that don't have any... God doesn't work by the clock at the back of the room, by the way. You'd be pleased to know I've cut my sermon down an hour and a half this morning uh, because God doesn't work by the clock at the back of the room. But these seasons don't last according to the time frames that we would like, but God places us in circumstances and situations by which to test us. And I've got some really good news this morning. It is always for our good. He is always desiring to bring us to a better place. We're going to see that today. We're going to see today. We're going to answer these questions. Why would God test us? Isn't he being cruel when he places us in these moments? And the reality is that God has always got something better for us. uh, Often in ancient times, if you were a, a royal official or a leader or dignitary and you had a special, unique task that you wanted completed and you wanted to ask somebody to do it, first question, do you like cats? Second question... Immediate no, by the way. Uh, Second question is, uh, you would have something that you would test them to make sure that you could trust them and rely on them, right? But what you were doing was you were testing them because you had something better for them. And so here's a few questions that we're going to answer as we work out. How do you know when God's testing you? How do you know when you're in that period? And what is the source of testing? Today, by the time we're finished... Although the agency of testing may be different, there is one source. God. And here's some other questions. How do I respond? What am I supposed to do in these moments? Well, you've asked some really good questions this morning. So let's quickly make our way through what God has to share. Exodus chapter 20, why is this a part of Exodus? Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 18, we will read, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. Oh, okay. Somebody left that out of the gospel message years ago, but it's there. For God has come to test you. Here's why. That, the fear of him, and that phrase is going to become really important as we work our way through. For those that have been tracking with us in Exodus, and we've been using phrases like sanctify the Lord and hidden treasure, that phrase is going to come back in a moment and become really relevant and important. Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Often, God is testing us and 
often in those times he is cleansing us and refining us because he wants a deeper relationship with us. God never wanted a business relationship with his people. God never wanted a contract that says, uh, I'll do this, 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 this and this only when God does this, this, this and this. That's not how God works. That's never how God wanted it. God wanted a relationship that says, I don't care what happens or what comes, Lord, I'm going to worship you. And this is nothing new for Israel, and it will be a recurring theme for Israel, and I believe for many people sitting in this room, it's a recurring theme for many of us. Back in chapter 15, verse 25, you'll read that God was testing them at the waters of Meribah. You'll read in Deuteronomy, chapter 8, that God says that he had tested them for 40 years in the wilderness to humble them, And to see what was in their heart. And for those who know the story of Israel, this is why it's going to come really important before we go any further. For those that know the story of Israel, you will know that the journey from the Red Sea to the Promised Land was about a 40-day journey that took them 40 years. And what we do know is that by the time Paul's writing to the Corinthian church in chapter 10, he says everything that happened to Israel was written down for us as examples for us to learn from. Why? Because many of them displeased God because they were overthrown in the wilderness. We live in a time today where many people are overthrown. Many people's faith is being shipwrecked on the rocks because they've lost their bearings and they've taken their eyes off the lighthouse. Life is full of storms. Can anybody give me an amen this morning? Life is full of storms. The wind's going to blow. The waves are going to get up, brother. Not just on the shore, but the waves are going to get up. I've, I've done some fishing in Tasmania where I was hankering to get back to the shore. The weather was that rough. But life can be like that, right? And so we see that God was using the wilderness to test these guys. And it never goes away. By the time we get to the book of Judges, Joshua has purged many of the, uh, the nations out of the promised land, but there were some left. And the book of Judges at the end of chapter 2 and start of chapter 3, you'll see that God left them there intentionally to test Israel. What's he saying to Israel? Now that I've given you everything you want, are you still going to walk before me? Are you still going to honour me? I'm going to leave these guys here just to test your heart. Let's answer some of these questions. I've taken some examples this morning. We're going to finish with the ultimate example of what we do when we are tested, but we'll go there later. First one is uh, good old Abraham. I love this chapter. And today, often I've spoken about Genesis chapter 22, and you can follow with me if you wish, or you can write it down and follow later. Often we talk about Genesis 22, highlighting really what worship's about. We see that here that Abraham worships, that's what the Bible tells us, but Chris Tomlin and Hillsong weren't there, so what did, what did worship look like then? And praise God, it's not all about singing, which is an encouragement to me, because there's more to worship than singing, which means there's hope for me, right? But, but what's going on here in chapter 22? Well, let's find out by reading the first verse. After these things, God tested Abraham. Oh, I see. After what things? After many years of patiently waiting and believing God, he receives Isaac. Uh, that wasn't a, by the way, just for those that are wondering, uh, that wasn't a perfect journey for Abraham. Uh, many times he lied about the identity of his wife and other times he kind of decided, you know what, God's taking his time so I'm going to rush the promise and that's how we end up with Ishmael and Hagar. So after these things, but, but recently Abraham's made a treaty with Abimelech. 
recently God's taken care of Hagar and Ishmael, and we have Isaac. After these things, God tested Abraham, and the book of Hebrews says that by faith, Abraham went tested. And it's interesting what the Greek word there means for tested in talking about Abraham. It means to pierce through to test the durability of. Anybody here ever been in a season in their life where they feel like they've been pierced through? I think think most people here would say, you do five minutes of life and it's most of us, right? After these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, three-day journey, we'll find out in a moment, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And uh, I've warned my boys before, if ever we're going on a fishing trip up a mountain somewhere and I'm carrying an armful of wood, you know what's coming next. But before we get to that... uh, How many people are probably thinking what I was thinking when I read this? Man, that sounds confusing. God promises Isaac. He waits something like 25 years for Isaac. Finally, Sarah gives birth to his only son. And now God's saying, well, now that I've given you Isaac, I need you to walk him up the mountain and sacrifice him. Is anybody else finding that confusing? Has anybody else found themselves in times and seasons of life when you're wondering, what on earth, God, are you doing? Anybody else ever felt like that? Anybody else been at times, relationships, business, anything? where we say, God, what are you doing? That's how to know when God's testing you. When your circumstances often sometimes contradict God's word. God had clearly given his word to Abraham. God hadn't changed that. He promised him Isaac. He's received Isaac. But we're going to see when we find ourselves in this moment, what do we do? Uh, It doesn't look like beeping and and flipping the bird at somebody who cuts you off in traffic because you're having a bad day. Uh, What Abraham does here, and Abraham highlights something really important. We're going to see a guy in a moment that got it wrong, but what does Abraham do? It says, uh, after God has told him this, Abraham rose early. He didn't hold a prayer meeting. He didn't ring the elders. He didn't go and consult everybody. He had the word of God, and this is what you do when you don't know what else to do. Do what God's told you to do. This is why God's word is so important. When all your world is falling apart and the wind and the waves have picked up and you're thinking, what on earth do I do next? What God told you to do. That's what Abraham does. He rose up early in the morning. He saddled his donkey and he took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood. Interesting. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, three days journey, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. We're going to get a snapshot into Abraham's heart in a moment. I love how sometimes one letter in a Hebrew word can make an enormous difference. Let's read the phrase and then we'll come back to it. Uh, Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Uh, In the Hebrew it says, and we will return to you. What? 
In the Hebrew, the word we will return, we translate it in three words. It's one word, neshuvah. The term I will return drops the N off and it's ashuvah. Abraham intentionally uses that word in saying, we will return to you. He has complete confidence. I don't understand everything God's doing. I don't understand why this is happening to me. I can't understand why God would ask me to walk up my son up a mountain. I do. I'd love to walk a few of mine up the mountain, but uh, that's a story for another day. But, uh... but if we take a snapshot, how many of us have been in a similar situation where I don't know why God's asking me to do this. I don't know why. I just know. I just know I need to do what God's asked me to do. And I know that it will end up okay. What does Hebrews tell us about Abraham? Abraham says, uh, Hebrews tells us that Abraham considered that if need be, God could raise Isaac from the dead. So all Abraham knew is, this is going to work out okay. I don't know how it's going to happen. I don't know why I'm doing this, but I know God. I know his character. I know that he won't fail me. I know that he won't let me down. I know that we will return. Wow. Why would God do that? Does God, is this just a game to God? Does he, is he just trying to test us and play games? That's, that's not it at all. That's not it for Abraham and it's not it for us. Let's keep reading on. So Owen the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. Abraham took the wood and we know the rest. Uh, We know uh, verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there, he laid the wood in order and he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Here, uh, we're we're just days away from Easter weekend. And here we're reading about a time in history where one man walked his son up a hill to sacrifice him and God will provide a lamb. But we just celebrated a time in history when God walked his son up the hill and this time he was the lamb. Abraham previously said, God will provide. Isn't that faith? Isn't that a reliance in in who God is? Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. This verse is profound. For now I know. What? That's not accidental. That translation is absolutely correct in the Hebrew. God is telling Abraham, I have learnt something. Now I know. What did God know? What was it that God had learnt? And what is the most important thing we need to learn about Abraham? If you're stuck in the wilderness, if you feel like your Christian walk has been the wilderness for the last however long, I'm about to give you the secret to getting out of the wilderness. 
For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And that term in the Hebrew, fear God, if you look up those two words, the Hebrew for those is, now I know you that I am your hidden treasure. That's what those words mean. What God is saying to Abraham is, I asked you to walk Isaac up this hill. Why? Because I want to make sure that there is nothing else in your heart that takes the number one place apart from me. Now I know, Abraham, that I am your hidden treasure. Now I know, Abraham, that there is nothing in your life before me. Now I know, Abraham, and now I am going to build a nation that I will bring the Redeemer through on this man. For now I know that I am your hidden treasure. That's not accidental. We're going to see before we finish today that there was another man in Scripture, a man that makes us a little uncomfortable when we talk about him, we'll get to him later, who was exactly the same thing. And so if you're here today saying, you know what, I feel like my Christian life, I've just been wandering around in the wilderness, I, I take ten steps forward and five steps back, and, and I know God has more for me, what's the way forward? Clean out the sanctuary, clean out what's in your heart, clean out that hidden treasure in your heart until God's the only one that occupies that spot. Amen. The process is called sanctifying the Lord, and all that simply means is to take God from the place in our life that is very common and place him into the place of the very special. We see this in Joseph. Just just a few chapters forward of this, Joseph finds himself in Egypt. And if there was a guy that could have found a million reasons probably to sin and no one will ever find me, you know what? Uh, his, his master, Potiphar, he's gone away. It's just Joseph and, and Potiphar's wife. No one would have ever known. No one would have ever found out. His dad would never have known and Potiphar would have never found out. Uh, he could have done whatever, but he, this is how he answers Potiphar's wife when she grabs hold of him. How can I do this thing and sin against God? God was in that special place. He's a man that got it wrong. In Second Chronicles chapter 32, we read about a guy called Hezekiah. I don't know if anybody knows about King Hezekiah, but let's do a little bit of a history lesson. King Hezekiah was one of Judah's more better kings. And if you read the list of kings through Israel and Judah, you'll find that there were some good ones and some bad ones. The bad ones outweighed the good ones, but Hezekiah was actually one of the good ones. His dad, Ahaz, was enormously evil, and he even nailed the doors to the temple shut. Uh, but in about 715 BC, Hezekiah becomes king, and the first thing he does is, this is how God works. Uh, Hezekiah will reinstitute worship. Hezekiah will reopen the temple. Hezekiah will do all of those things, and, and they'll start holding the feasts and the Passover again. But before they do that, he goes throughout the land and he tears down the Asherah poles, he tears down the pagan altars, he destroys the pagan temples and all the high places where they worship anything and everything except for God. That's how God works. God deconstructs. It's uncomfortable. Then he reconstructs. 
Hezekiah comes after this and it reinstitutes the, the, the Passover and he takes the nails out of the door, reopens the temple and does all that. Here's a few things you need to know about Hezekiah. Hezekiah was miraculously healed. Uh, some people might know the story. Uh, the prophet Isaiah, he's prophesying in the time of Hezekiah. In fact, he comes and tells Hezekiah, not only are you not well, my friend, but this is going to end in death. And for those who know the story, Hezekiah rolls over in his bed and faces the wall and wails in repentance before God. And God sends Hezekiah, uh, sorry, sends Isaiah back and says, tell him I'm going to give him another 15 years. I'm not sure that's as big a blessing, by the way. It's, imagine the countdown, right? Imagine when the sun comes up in the 15th year and you're thinking, well, which day it's going to be? I'm not sure it was the greatest blessing, but he did get another 15 years. And he had some good years. He did some great stuff in Israel. Uh, he reinstituted worship. Uh, he led Israel uh, in enormous uh, reforms. And so he should be heralded for that. He, he also amassed enormous prosperity, which we see by the time we get to Second Chronicles 32, he had amassed enormous prosperity. And there were times when the Assyrian king at the time wants to come against Judah and he, and he kind of encamps in and around Judah and he's about to take the city of Jerusalem. Now, what was customary in those days was if there was a king that was about to overtake you, you would go left and right. You'd go to all the other nations looking for help. Hezekiah and Isaiah go to the temple that's the right response they go to the temple and they lay out the scroll from the Assyrian king and say Lord I'm paraphrasing for you they say Lord if you don't come through we're gone Hezekiah passed the test of adversity then there's a nation by the name of Babylon this is a really quick history lesson this morning and Babylon hears about how Hezekiah was healed. And so they want to know about the miracle. And so they come to Israel. And when they get there, Hezekiah makes a terrible mistake. Second Chronicles tells us that God leaves Hezekiah to himself to test his heart. And he makes a tremendous mistake. The Bible tells us that his heart was filled with pride. And he did not return to the Lord, his Jew, and when Babylon came, he took them and showed them all the glorious treasures of Israel. Showed them all the temple treasures, showed them all the treasures. Biggest mistake he ever made. Why? Because those guys went back to Babylon and said, these guys are pretty rich. Let's go. And the rest is history. If you read the story of Jeremiah, you'll realise that there's a time when they are sacked by Babylon. But Hezekiah's legacy was... After that, he left a legacy of destruction for Israel that would come at the hands of Babylon. You see, King Hezekiah had passed the test of adversity, but he didn't pass the test of prosperity. I don't know how many times in my Christian walk I've seen people on their knees up the front, bawling their eyes out, crying out to God for help, and the minute they get what they want from God, you don't see them again. That's an uncomfortable that's uncomfortable this morning, but I've seen it so many times. That's Hezekiah. No need for any amens this morning, we'll just we'll just we'll just roll past that one this morning. Now I wanna before we get to the ultimate example par excellence, I, I want to talk about one guy who raises a few inconvenient truths. We're going to really breeze very quickly through. His name's Job. 
<coughs> pardon me. And often when we speak about Job, we think, well, this is just a big poker game between God and the enemy and, and so forth. But, but let's work our way through the account. Let's have a look at what uh, God has to say, what the enemy has to say and what happens. And Job teaches us the right response, by the way. Now, there was a day. Anybody, anybody's had a season in life that could sound like this. Now, there was a day, and what you will read, if you keep reading through chapter 1 later on, you can read it for yourself. There was a day, there was a day, there was a day, there was a day, there was a day. Job had a couple of bad days. In case you're wondering, he, uh, it, it didn't get any better for a little while. Uh, uh, if you've had a bad day, any time you're having a bad day, this is my pastoral advice. Before you make an appointment with me, just read Job chapter 1. If you've still got any questions, then let's make the appointment. But uh, now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them. Uh, digression for a moment, this hasn't happened since the cross. That's a that's a sermon for another day. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job or have you set your heart on my servant Job? Uh, Job's irritating the enemy. Uh, I would like to be known as the guy who lives a life that irritates the enemy, although it's not advisable if you like the things of this life, apparently. Have you considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, and same phrase that we read in Genesis 22, who fears God. What's he saying? Who has me as his hidden treasure. Mm. Back to the guys in the forestry at the interview process. All these guys tell me how great they are. We're, that's what's going on here. Job thinks he's good, great, awesome. We're, we're about to find out who it is that occupies the hidden place for Job. Hang on for a moment. Interesting what happens next. Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God or does Job have you as his hidden treasure for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him? That's a really encouraging verse this morning. Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? What's the enemy saying? I can't get into this guy. And his possessions have increased in the land, but... Here's what the enemy says. He says, stretch out your hand and touch all he has and he will curse you to your face. What's the enemy saying? You know what? You think Job holds you in his, as his hidden treasure? You think he's sanctified the Lord and his heart is holy? You know what? Take everything he's got and let's see what his reaction is. And for those that have read the story, you know that he gets on the ground and he worships. And then the enemy comes back. You can read the story for yourself later on. The enemy comes back and says, okay, fair enough. He passed that test. How about you test Job? And if you afflict a man in his flesh, surely he will curse you. And again, Job's response is that he worships the Lord. Even Job's wife comes to him and says, look, just curse God and die. Huh? Job's like, maybe I'll take the donkeys and leave. But at that time, just curse God and die. How profound a response is this? Job's response to his wife is, should we expect good from God and not evil as well? Should we not expect blessing from God as well as trials and temptations? And one thing this chapter highlights here is, this is enormously good news this morning because 
I want you to know that for those that are in Christ, you have a hedge around you. And I want you to know that uh, the only way the enemy gets past that hedge is if you step outside of it or God lowers the hedge. And I want you to know that the enemy only works inside of the boundaries and the confines that the Lord sets. That's an inconvenient truth sometimes, but it's the truth of Scripture. We don't need to fear anybody apart from God. We don't need to hold anything or anybody in our heart apart from God. We only need to seek him and we know that he will keep us, even sometimes when it doesn't look like it. At the end of the story for Job, for those who know the story, and again, if you're having a bad day, read the whole book and then come back. At the end of it, God speaks to Job and he says, he asks him 69 questions. And at the end of the whole thing, Job turns around and says, you know what, up until now, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. What's Job saying? I thought I knew you, God. But you've done a number on me, and now I really know you. God wanted to take him deeper. God had something better for Job. And if you read the end of Job, he was restored and had more than what he had in the first place. This morning I'm going to Ask Karen if she can come and just play gently. And I want to go to the most ultimate example this morning. In Matthew chapter 4, what do we do, Lord? Matthew chapter 4, interesting verse 1. Notice what's happened in the life of Jesus up until now. Uh, what Jesus does is, of course, we for 30 years we don't know a whole lot of what he does, but then, of course, he announces his ministry and he's baptised by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And at his baptism, most of us know that John sees, sees the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. It wasn't actually a dove, it was like a dove. This is a profound and glorious moment for Jesus. He is baptised and uh, the Holy Spirit descends on him in power. And what's the very next thing that happens? The very next thing that happened, chapter 4, verse 1, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, that's inconvenient truth this morning, was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That word tempting and testing and trying, same word. Anybody else ever realise that, uh, this is why I think baptisms are really important, anybody else ever notice that when God does something amazing in your life, that it's like somebody let a bomb off the next day. Because the enemy wants to come and take it away from you, right? And let's read Jesus' response. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and after fasting for 40 days. A little bit hungry. My boys fast for about 40 minutes. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, is this not the way the enemy works? He comes to question who Christ is, but does he not come to question who we are? Are you really God's child? Does he really love you? Hasn't he abandoned you? Hasn't he let... No, that's not true. Why? Here's how Jesus answers. Uh, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written. And that is not necessarily, if you want to commit 
Bible verses to memory, I would encourage everybody to memorize scripture. But that's not what this is about. What Jesus is declaring here to the enemy is, I have determined and resolved that I am going to live my life according to the word of God, not according to what you say, not according to what you question, not according to the circumstances around me. How many people know that if you lived your life governed by the circumstances, you would be a hot mess on a daily basis? No, what he says is, I'm going to live my life according to what God says. But we know how the record goes. Even the enemy uses scripture. The enemy says, you know what? Cast yourself off the top of the temple because he will guard, <clears throat> he will guard your feet so you do not strike your feet. He uses scripture, but, but Jesus comes back and knows full well. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That's his answer. Friends, I want to ask you today, do you have a business relationship with God? Hey, we've all been in that place in the interview room, right? I I can remember prayer meetings where I've told God how good I am. Soon find out. Peter told Jesus how good he was. Hey, you know what, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I'll I'll never deny you, I'll never forsake you. (laughs) But we all know how that worked out, right? This morning, just a couple of minutes of peace and quiet, just a couple of questions. Is there something you need to walk up the hill today? Is, is there something in your heart that too often takes the place of God? Maybe you're sitting here today saying, you know what? feel like I'm in the wilderness and I just want God to come and do his work in my heart maybe you've had a few days like Job Many of us in this room have many of us in this room have had days where we felt like Job, I'm sure. Maybe you're sitting in a season right now where you're confused. God's given you his word. If you need prayer this morning then I would encourage you to come out and, and we'll pray with you maybe, maybe you're in one of these moments right now maybe maybe you feel like Abraham maybe you feel like Job maybe for those that read the pastor's comments this morning it can be in these times in our lives that are the most glorious for, for the disciples after the resurrection. Between the resurrection and Pentecost, they're all wondering what's next, right? But it was in that moment when Jesus revealed himself very powerfully to every one of them and, and they knew rich communion and fellowship with Christ. Father, as we sit here this morning, forgive us because we cling to this world far too tightly.
Father, we, we have all done far too many laps around the mountain in the wilderness. But I want to thank you this morning that your heart's desire, as it was for Israel, your heart's desire is to take every one of us to the place that you have prepared for us. That, Lord, you're calling all of us to a deeper relationship, Lord, to let, to let go of the Isaacs in our lives, Lord God, and to allow you to be the hidden treasure in our hearts. Father, I pray this dangerous prayer again. Father, sanctify yourself as holy. No longer be common in our hearts or in our lives, but be the very special treasure. And I thank you that every one of us... Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available subscribe on our website at therock.org.au You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.